time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. and sold for 400 US dollars. Meanwhile, African and European leaders are due to meet in Cote d'Ivoire's main city of Abidjan next week, where migration and Europe's efforts to tackle it by co-opting Libya will be high on the agenda. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security says it will terminate a program that gave tens of thousands of Haitian immigrants temporary protection against deportation. This is a big blow to people from the Caribbean state who flocked to the U.S. seven years ago, as the BBC's World Grant reports. In the aftermath of the devastating earthquake in Haiti in 2010, almost 60,000 Haitians affected by the disaster were granted the right to reside and work in the United States. Known as temporary protected status, that legal protection will now be revoked for those Haitian citizens within 18 months. The Trump administration has decided that Haiti, which remains the poorest country in the Americas, has now sufficiently recovered to take them back. The move has been criticized by immigrant rights groups in the U.S. who say it has unjustly singled out small numbers of the most vulnerable as part of the administration's tougher stance on immigration. And finally, nearly 21 million people worldwide living with HIV now have access to life-saving medicines. That's according to a new report by the United Nations Agency. UNAIDS reports that only 685,000 people living with HIV had access to antiretroviral treatment in 2000, increasing to 209 million by June of this year. The agency says the challenge now is to ensure that more than 17 million people worldwide who need treatment, including 900 119,000 children can also access medicine. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa, through the Department of Transport, will host Botswana and Namibia to strengthen relations and improve cross-border transactions and customs operations along the Trans-Sakalahari Corridor. The corridor, which was jointly developed in the 1990s, consists of South Africa, Botswana and Namibia. The structure was formed with an objective to contribute and promote trade facilitation within the three states through transport efficiency by simplifying and harmonizing the requirements and controls that govern the movement of goods and persons to reduce the transportation costs and transit times. The event will take place on the 22nd of November 2017 at N4 in Rustenburg, opposite Stay Easy in Northwest Province, South Africa. It will start from 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa will cross live at 1100 hours Central African time. 
This message is brought to you by South Africa's Department of Transport. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe and his ex-Vice President Emerson Mnagagwa will soon be in talks about the current political impasse. The nation's defense force yesterday revealed that the pair had already been in contact with each other. According to military leader General Konstantin Chiwenga, Nagagwa is expected to arrive back in Harare soon. Nomabulani reports from Harare. The talks between President Robert Mugabe and his former right-hand man Emerson Munagagwa might be the breakthrough needed to resolve Zimbabwe's crisis. The military, who've taken over the country since last week, say they're happy with the fact that the pair have opened up the communication channels. The Zimbabwe Defence and Security Services are encouraged by new developments which include conduct between the President and the former Vice President, Comrade Emerson Dambuzomnangagwa, who is expected in the country shortly. Thereafter, the nation will be advised on the outcome of talks between the two. In the meantime, Comrade Arajim Gabe has started processes towards a definitive solution and roadmap for the country. General Chiwenga says they remain committed to what they call Operation Restore Legacy and believe that some resolve will be achieved soon. He says from the constant consultation with Mugabe, they pleased with the progress being made. Chiwenga has also thanked Zimbabweans for their support during this period of uncertainty. As the Zimbabwe Defense and Security Services, we pay particular tribute to all Zimbabweans for the regard and support shown to us during the execution of Operation Restore Legacy. We remain a people's force and security services, which is why uppermost on our mind is the conclusion of this war operation with the minimum inconvenience and certainly without any collateral loss of life, injury or destruction of property. Meanwhile, ZANU-PF is continuing with its plan to remove President Mugabe as country leader. The intention to impeach the 93-year-old will be tabled on Tuesday in Parliament. The party's information secretary, Simon Kaya Moyo, confirmed that Mugabe was formally notified of the decision on Monday. As for that, the party has instructed the chief whip to proceed with impeachment processes against Comrade Araji Mugabe as it has not received the anticipated confirmation of his resignation from the Speaker of Parliament. A caucus of Zanupio parliamentarians, which has just concluded, was attended by 230 Zanupio members of Parliament out of 260 members has endorsed the impeachment. 
The party's chief whip, Love Momoduke, has dismissed the legitimacy of Tuesday's cabinet meeting, apparently called by Mugabe. He says the special central committee has resolved that any minister found to be meeting with the elderly statesman will be removed from parliament. No, no minister is, is, is allowed to have a meeting with Mugabe. Because according to us, Mugabe is already uh, fired by the party. You cannot hold any meeting and uh, no minister is going. For your own information, there are ministers who were appointed just last month by President Mugabe. Most of them were voting for, for his dismissal. So there's no issue like any cabinet taking place uh, until we have a new government. Demonstrations are expected to be held outside parliament by residents in support of the ruling party's intention to impeach Mugabe. The military is still out in force in Harare streets. In general, Chiwenga has urged residents to remain disciplined while demonstrating. I'm Lama Bolani in Harare, Zimbabwe. All eyes are still on Zimbabwe as its ruling ZANU-PF party attempts to impeach President Robert Mugabe following his refusal to step down. Impeachment proceedings are expected to begin today in Parliament where a motion to strip Mugabe of the presidency will be presented. The motion accuses the 93-year-old of charges including allowing his wife Grace to usurp constitutional power. Mugabe shocked the world on Sunday when he, oh, yesterday, when he ignored the 12 midday deadline for him to resign as head of state. For more updates on this, our Zimbabwe correspondent Simon Muchema joins us on the line. Simon, thank you so much for joining us and good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. Simon, how exactly is this impeachment process expected to unfold? Uh, you see, the problem in Zimbabwe is lack of information and uh, uh, lack of um, understanding of exactly what is happening at the moment. <laughs> this impeachment is going to start today because it started yesterday in the uh, ruling party in ZANU-PF where it was overwhelmingly endorsed. So this morning uh, we are expecting to see legislators from um, ZANU-PF, and they just need at least 210 for them to achieve a two-thirds majority. But uh, the voting process does not start today. That's the process. Uh, today, the motion is going to be moved in Parliament, and the Speaker of Parliament is going to acknowledge that the papers are in order, the requirements are in order, and even the reasons for impeachment are also in order, because according to the Constitution of Zimbabwe, you can you can't just impeach the president without valid reasons. So from what ZANU-PF is saying, they are impeaching Robert Mugabe uh, on his failure to execute his duties well uh, because he was listening to his wife, Grace Mugabe, and that became a security threat. And secondly, because old age and ill health. So those are the three key issues that ZANU-PF are pinning Robert Mugabe against. So while the impeachment is going to start today, it might take weeks uh, for the impeachment to fail through. Uh, the war veterans yesterday said that they will be staging protests outside Parliament and outside Robert Mugabe's house until Robert Mugabe decides to resign. On one hand, we are also finding 
the issue of restlessness on the part of the uh, civilians. We want Mugabe to go now, but from what we are understanding, the military doesn't want Mugabe to go now before he reinstates Now, Simon, let's let, let's just go back. Let's reflect uh, um, um, on the challenges with regards to the impeachment process and the impeachment itself, on the challenges that the ZANU-PF party faces with this regard. Yeah, the, the, the challenge that they face is that uh, Robert Mugabe has got uh, the leeway of uh, responding uh, and uh, maybe challenging the impeachment because some of the people that actually endorse the impeachment in Zanupir, the people actually endorse the expulsion and so forth, are people who are said to have already been expelled from the party uh, through legal process before. So to a certain extent, Mugabe might even turn around and say that uh, they did not need a quorum uh, for ZANU-PF to come up with that decision. So the impeachment now in Parliament, you then need the chief whip to move the motion, and then the the motion, when it is then accepted by the Speaker of Parliament, uh, legally, what what we call drafters, uh, we've got so many lawyers in Parliament, you then have to look at the, the, the format and the draft of the impeachment and uh, see uh, if it uh, goes in line with the requirements. Then uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, that is when we expect now the parliament to sit again and then the voting will take place. Then there's another issue that Zanupia has got um, uh, to follow, either to apply for a, a, a secret ballot or an open ballot. A secret ballot is good in the sense that uh, uh, you don't know who has voted for who or against what. And uh, a, a, an open ballot, most of the time, people are whipped into submission. And from what we are seeing now, it appears as if all the legislators have been whipped after the first meeting that was happening. So um, the same is time constraints. Mugabeans want Mugabe to go now, but a process has got to be followed which is constitutional in the text. The meeting or the the um, discussion or the chat that uh, Emerson, former Vice President Emerson Mnagagwa and President Robert Mugabe is expected to take place after Mnagagwa's return to Harare. Do you think this is likely to happen? And um, where exactly has Mnagagwa been? Has it been in Zimbabwe in a different province? What exactly is the situation there? Again, that's another issue that uh, media in Zimbabwe and even general populace have uh, not been um, uh, aware of what was happening around Munangagwa. Uh, there were so many media reports and even rumors that Munangagwa fled the country because there were threats against his life and his family in the west of Africa. We cannot say in certainty that yes, that's where he was because we didn't see him leaving Zimbabwe and we did not even see him in South Africa. No one saw him in South Africa. And now all of a sudden he's uh, likely going to disappear because now Mugabe wants to talk to him. Unfortunately, what people don't understand now is that this is all how the military are operating because the military doesn't want this war set up, the military intervention or whatever you call it a coup, to be called a coup at the end of the day because once that 
happen, then Zimbabwe has got a challenge with the international community. So they are addressing this issue to appear in the eyes and minds of ordinary citizens and the international community that this is just a military intervention to address these issues. But the government of Zimbabwe is operational, uh, everything in Zimbabwe is operational. The president has not been uh, arrested, he's still performing his uh, constitutional mandate with the president. That's what the military is portraying to us. But uh, from to address uh, how Mnangagwa um, is going to be reinstated when and Mnangagwa uh, is willing to support Robert Mugabe maybe in terms of um, uh, immunity after Mugabe is gone because you understand that the military says uh, Mugabe should be removed through the constitutional means which means he's got to go after the Congress in December by the way you know we've got an extra Congress in December to elect leadership. So that's what the military are now saying. So Zimbabweans are expecting every very short time which cannot be achieved. Simon, looking at universities, university students and um, coming out in protest saying that they are not going to write their exams until Mugabe steps down, how effective is this protest going to be and what's the reaction been like? In actual fact, the protest started yesterday in the afternoon. We spoke to uh, quite a number of students and uh, they were just expressing um, uh, the, the support towards the military and uh, dismay over Robert Mugabe's alleged refusal uh, to resign. So the University of Zimbabwe uh, authorities have actually said they are stopping all the examinations and the examinations will start in January because, by the way, January the Extraordinary Congress would have been uh, conducted and by then maybe would have gone back to normalcy uh, and uh, be normal business. So the, the students have been said they can go back home and they are not going to write examinations. So they are starting from afresh in January at a date to be announced in January by the University of Zimbabwe Authority. So to a certain extent, yes, students won that war. They want Mugabe to go and they didn't want to write examinations in protest. But not go because at the end of the day there will be damage of property, uh, there will be arrests, there will be people injured and so forth. That's why the university decided to close down the university and make sure the examinations are written in January. Speaking of damage of property and possible um, violence erupting at the universities, how are the other ordinary uh, Zimbabweans reacting to the developments that are taking place in Zimbabwe as we speak? Now it appears as if the Zimbabweans are becoming restless because when the military intervention started last week, there were they were high hopes that uh, now Mugabe is now going. Mugabe is going to resign on his own, and even on Sunday we saw him coming live on the Zimbabwe national television for the first time after the military intervention, and the people expected him announced his resignation on national television. That did not happen. But Zimbabweans are not really aware and not see what is happening. Constitutionally, the military doesn't want to be seen to have forced Mugabe to resign. And that's why you found even 
if you watch the, the, the clip on Zimbabwe television, uh, they, they were sort of a flipping of papers, uh, General Chiwenga taking away a statement and Mugabe reading another statement and so forth. From what we are uh, from this side, it's that uh, Mugabe wanted to read the statement that would end up saying he was now resigning. By then, it then meant that the current vice president, Pelegeja Mpoko, was then going to take over constitutionally, and there was no way the military was going to deny that, and even Zanu people were going to deny that. Of course, Pelegeja Mpoko has been called again by the party and expelled, which means very soon you will also be taken away. But for the moment, Mugabe remains constitutionally recognized as president. Mugabe has got to make sure that he is stated as vice president. Then he means Mugabe can now safely go. That has got to be done in a way that everyone else, including the international community, sees as if it's not a coup. Simon, unfortunately, our line is uh, not uh, working very well with us today. Um, we will try and get you get you back on the line for further developments, I guess, as uh, the day progresses and with other programs that are to come. We'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us and for that update. Thank you so much. That was our correspondent in Zimbabwe, Simon Muchema, joining us on the line from the capital, Harare. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwe is facing a constitutional crisis and Zimbabweans have to hold both President Robert Mugabe and the entire ruling ZANU-PF accountable. These are some of the sentiments expressed by various opposition parties in the South African parliament. Others want the 93-year-old leader to step down and welcome his imminent impeachment as Mercedes Bissent tells us. UDM leader Bantu Holomisa has described the current impasse over the removal of Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe as a constitutional crisis. Holomisa says only Zimbabweans can resolve the constitutional crisis which has been created by the various interventions of ZANU-PF and the Zimbabwean Defense Force. Given that the soldiers of Zimbabwe had made it clear from the word go that uh, their aim was to deal with the criminals surrounding President Mugabe. Unless they come up again publicly to say they want Mugabe to go, the noise which calls for Mugabe to go seemed to come from his party, and yet he was elected by the Zimbabweans. So therefore there is a constitutional crisis which would need the Zimbabweans themselves to deal with that matter. One of Africa's oldest liberation movements in South Africa, the PAC, is calling on President Mugabe to heed the call of ZANU-PF by stepping down in the interest of stability. PAC President Lutandom Binda. Initially, we thought that, you know, this was a coup, but we have realized that Izanu-PF is still in charge. 
and uh, the defense force they have also handed over the power to Izanyu PF as the ruling part. We are just hoping that uh, Mugabe will hit the call, more especially after the decision of the Central Committee. So as PAC, we just support the will of the people of Zimbabwe and we are just hoping that Mugabe will also follow suit just for the sake of peace and stability in Zimbabwe. ACDP leader Kenneth Mishwe shares the sentiments that the 93-year-old president should step down. I think the best thing that Mugabe can do for himself and for the country is to step down. Um, the Central Committee of ZANU-PF has removed him from being the leader. So he is aware that his own party does not want him anymore. The population of Zimbabwe don't want him anymore. The army does not want him anymore. So why, why is he clinging to power when the country is saying he must go? So we think the best thing that he should do The expected thing from the populace is for Mr. Mugabe to step down and to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to lead the country. Ahang in parliament says the people of Zimbabwe have to hold the entire ZANU-PF accountable and not only its president Robert Mugabe. Ahang parliamentary leader Andris Loyama says those who are now calling for Mugabe's removal in ZANU-PF formed part of those who degenerated Zimbabwe. To me, I would have liked if the citizens of Zimbabwe can take over this revolution and they themselves hold ZANU-PF and Robert Mugabe accountable. Mr. Robert Mugabe could not have survived for 37 years if it was not the likes of uh, Mr. Obed Mbofu, Mr. Chinamasa, the general who once claimed that he will never salute Mogen Swangarai. So Mugabe, is, he, he was there, he's still there because of these people. So we are expecting nothing out of nothing because even if he is removed by ZANU-PF, we are still having a problem that these people did not respect human rights themselves. The National Freedom Party in Parliament says a change in the leadership of ZANU-PF to replace its president does not necessarily bring change in Zimbabwe. NFP MP Ahmed Sheikh Imam, who also defended the intervention of SADC, says many ZANU-PF leaders who rallied against Mugabe are not innocent. Most of these people that want him out have been part and parcel of his cabinet for ages, doing exactly the same thing. What makes us believe they're going to do it differently? Maybe with the opposition coming in, it might help. But in the nutshell, I think we do have a crisis. I know they are complaining about SADC, SADC being involved in, 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 in trying to do them. But SADC has a responsibility. SADC had a responsibility in all this time to be able to do something. But now the question is, why is SADC coming in at this 11th hour? SADC should actually stay off it. But you are a member state of SADC. SADC has to come in in the interest of the people. Because remember, not every citizen of Zimbabwe wants Mugabe out. There are those who are still supporting him. There are still... Thousands of them that even supporting his wife, Grace Mugabe. The DA in Parliament has welcomed the decision by ZANU-PF to institute an impeachment process to remove President Mugabe, saying it was not in favor of military intervention or an attempted coup. DA spokesperson on international relations, Stevens Mokhalaba, says President Mugabe's decision not to announce his resignation when he addressed the world on TV was not unexpected. It is disappointing for the whole world and for the Zimbabweans, but it was expected that it would be like that. That is why we are where we are now, because of him 
and his reluctance to step out uh, from office. So the best thing to moving forward is to follow the constitutional uh, prescripts of um, Zimbabwe where it can only be settled through parliamentary processes. And we hope that the parliamentary processes would um, uh, save the day. He must step out of office and open for the transition, democratic transition to happen in Zimbabwe. And that was the spokesperson on international relations ending that report by Mercedes Besant in South Africa's parliament. It is 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, about 100 people are demonstrating against Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe's rule on the road leading to his private residence in Harare. Burkina Faso has recalled its ambassador to Libya over a report that black African migrants were being auctioned as slaves there. And nearly 21 million people worldwide are living worldwide living with HIV now have access to life-saving medicines, according to a new report by the United Nations Agency. Those are the stories making headlines. The International Women in Leadership Summit 2017 takes place on the 23rd and 24th of November at the Premier Hotel Kempton Park in South Africa's Gauteng province. The theme of the summit is unraveling the sustainable development goal for tangible benefits for African women. Join Channel Africa and Africa for Africa as we cover the International Women in Leadership Summit this coming Thursday and Friday. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Kenya's Supreme Court on Monday upheld the re-election of President Uhuru Kenyatta in last month's repeat presidential vote, paving the way for him to be sworn in next week. Chief Justice David Maraga said all six judges dismissed the two legal challenges to the vote. The opposition coalition NASA insisted the government was illegitimate. James Shimangula has more from Nairobi. Kenya's highest judicial institution, the Supreme Court, has dismissed two petitions challenging President Uhuru Kenyatta's re-election on the 26th of last month. Mixed reaction greeted the Supreme Court's verdict. Supporters of Kenyatta celebrated while those rallying behind veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga mourned the historic decision. In other words, the Supreme Court's verdict saw millions of Kenyans shed tears of joy, while millions of others shed tears of sadness. 
As the joyous mood lingered in the minds of some Kenyans, varying comments from a cross-section of citizens summed up the verdict candidly. First, let us hear how sections of Kenyans celebrated Kenyatta's victory. That was wisdom. That was wisdom because uh, I, I hope as a result of the ruling, the country will be very peaceful. But in public service governance, we are also promoting a nation where we, we may not have election in future for the sake of sustainable peace. Today, what Maraga has done, he has done his work perfectly. What you are saying is that it's all Kenyans who have won. I'm minding my fellow Kenyans. You should not fight each other. In Kenya, you react the way, you, you know, things just are funny. Yeah, that's the way Kenya is. The good is not important, the bad is the important. You know, I thought with all the, the evidence, but uh, I guess uh, <laughs> money won. What do you mean by money won? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, money won. How? Just the way you understand it. Adeni Duwali, the number three man in Kenya's ruling hierarchy, means no words when he said. Oh, I think it was very, very good judgment. We, our legal team did very good work. Judy Soweto, one of a battery of lawyers that represented the petitioners, was succinct in her reaction remarks. The court has spoken. We respect decision of the court. Tom Macharia is an independent legal expert. This is how he characterized the Supreme Court's verdict. Our constitution really should carry the day. And I think that's what has carried the day here. As, as we said in courts, this was really a contest between whether we are a nation governed uh, by the rule of law or one that's governed by um, the whims of men and vigilantism. And so for me what this is, the court was asserting the constitutional order of this country. It directed there should be election in 60 days. An election was held. Uh, by all accounts, as far as the IEBC is concerned, I think they executed uh, a perfect election. Um, there were boycotts, and which is a constitutional right of those who did so. Um, but the most important thing here was asserting the rule of law and constitutionalism. You being a professional lawyer yes. for many years, yes. look at the petition that was brought in court. Yes. Summarize to our listeners, did you detect weaknesses 100% in the petition? Um... The thing about court cases is that um, you must have a winner. It's not a function, I think, of weaknesses and strengths. I think it's a function of um, constitutional interpretation and um, the facts as they uh, unrolled. So I don't know that it's a matter of weaknesses. It's really a function. If the election was uh, um, uh, conducted well, then it was conducted well. Yes. you think that probably the judges had decided unanimously just to save the country because of the trouble? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I said, it was about the constitutional order of this country. That's, I think, what guided them. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. A project 
that aims to educate people in remote areas of Darfur about the dangers of explosive remnants of war has been awarded a UN prize for innovation and creativity. A solar-powered risk education talking device will contain multiple pre-recorded audio such as songs, interviews and messages and is designed to benefit people who may not be able to read or who live in areas that lack electricity. The device, which looks like a mobile phone, was created by the Ordnance Disposal Office at the joint UN-African Union mission in Darfur, Unamid. It is one of four projects from the UN Mine Action Service to receive the 2017 UN Secretary General Award. Setio Budi has been speaking to Jeffrey McMurdo and Abel Tesfai from the Unamid Ordnance Disposal Office. McMurdo began by explaining why the device is needed. The project is the risk education talking device, and it's solar-powered. It looks a bit like a mobile phone, and we're going to use it to raise awareness in Darfur about the dangers of explosive remnants of war. We'll be reaching out to vulnerable remote groups of people and our ongoing risk education activities weren't reaching them effectively. Abel, maybe you can tell us about this solar-powered risk education taking device. How does it work? If you allow me before that, just to, to explain a couple of points on what Jeff has been said. We had a problem, especially accessing deep fields of Jabalmara, remote areas. The problem was actually the main drive and there was a lot of discussions about the leadership style, and that has a decisive role in enhancing organizational creativity. So talking about risk education talking devices, just as a solar power audio talking device, which has the ability to play multiple pre-recorded beat, song, drama, focus group discussion, or interviews. So it's particularly suitable for use of engaging with people who cannot read. In a remote area where there is no electricity, you just can't charge yourself using solar energy. The other aspect of the device is actually the message can be encrypted in different ways. So it has only purpose built for disseminating risk education message only. And it takes a SD card where regularly we could send different messages and update the community who are at risk uh, in terms of understanding and trying to maintain safe behavior. So in general, it just contains a multiple sequential recorded risk education message in the form of songs, dramas, interview, focus group discussions. And the beauty with the device is its arrangement can break through the listener's uh, tune-out factor and ensures the message retention will be always with them by having a device. The RATD has a two versions. The bigger version can be plugged with auxiliary systems and uh, the villagers can hear with a different system like a microphone attached and the smaller one which is like compact and the children can listen for a single use. This will make things a lot of different now, Jeff. But uh, can you tell us how does your office organize the awareness campaign in Darfur about the dangers of explosive remnants of war before the invention of such device? The approach to risk education was fairly traditional and what was used in programs around the world. To get a broad base of the population, we'd use public-private radio programs with regular messages that were going out that would be renewed and changed every so often. So that was a constant message that went out and over the years because this has gone on for so long there was new generations coming up who would start listening to the radio and that you need to reach as well and then the other approach was the direct beneficiaries so we have implementing partners that go out every year 
with taskings that are coordinated with the government as to where the priority is, as seen by us and the government, and they go into communities. A lot of schools, because children are a particularly vulnerable group that we want to address, and that was working fairly well. And over the years, I think in the last 10 years, there's been a million Darfuris that have received risk education. So that's uh, one out of six of the population, which has direct knowledge and understanding of the risks of explosive remnants of war. But beyond that, one million are friends and relatives and contacts uh, that they can pass on the information, and especially if something is seen. So they can inform everybody in the area, I know what that is because I've had the training. So that was working fairly well, but it, it wasn't, as I said earlier, catching everybody. And that's where a lot of our casualties were coming. So we saw there was a gap that we had to address. Now that we have this device, how do you think this device will make different in raising awareness about the dangers of explosive remnants of war? For us, continuous improvement is something which we see seriously. So we start to think, how could we improve the way we deliver risk integration? And parallelly as well, we have a problem, which is because of security, conflict in some areas of Darfur, the remote I mean, mobile teams cannot access to different areas. And of course, the radio message which is delivered not always can be heard by everybody, and not always the radio coverage can cover deep remote fields. In addition to that, Darfur is a big area to cover with the limited resources, quite difficult. These are the driving forces which we need to develop something within the same toolbox of risk equation, but we need to add something which is supported through technology. You mentioned earlier there were some areas which we cannot access because of security reasons. How will this be deployed to those areas? There are three different forms of disseminating. The first one is just like a standalone to be sent through, like you know, school teachers or health workers. The second one is actually when our risk education team provides face-to-face risk education awareness sessions upon completing they can provide these these materials to influential figures like for instance the sheikhs or umdas or traditional teachers within the community who can influence so they can leave these things with them and thirdly we will seek to partner with other substantive sections or unamid police or who have an outreach activity and like to disseminate some messages that could be incorporated into that And when the project's over, we'll be able to go to the communities because they'll be owning the project and the devices and get a sense of of how it worked with them, how popular it was, maybe what's the greatest hits of the risk education messages. They liked the most, probably, some of the songs and what didn't work. But one thing I like about this project is because we're going into maybe nomadic communities, communities that are on the, the fringes of any settled areas where probably there isn't much modern technology. We'll be curious to see what kind of impact that has among them as well and how they use it and regard it. That was Jeffrey McMurdo and Abel Tesfai from the Unamid Ordnance Disposal Office speaking to UN Radio Setyo Budi. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo have agreed to remove trade restrictions imposed on the export and imports of certain goods between the two countries. The DRC had stopped importing beer, carbonated drinks, cement and clinker 
used in the manufacture of cement from Zambia and would only permit similar goods from South Africa and other countries to be imported into that country. This did not go well with government, who also had to restrict similar goods to be imported into the DRC from other countries through the Kasumbalesa border post and other gateways to that country. The trade barriers had been going on for a month now, and Zambia is estimated to have lost a 25 million US dollar export revenue as a result of the restrictions. The Zimbabwe Stock Exchange is expected to lose a further ground as investors speculate on chances of that bank balances, which have been losing value against the real US dollars for the better part of the year, could strengthen. The boss fell for the second consecutive day on Friday, down 33% since the military took over in the country. Market analyst Modi Lenzwane expects the downward pressure to continue until there is a clearer picture on where Zimbabwe's economy will be heading. Meanwhile, chairperson of the Business Against Crime Forum in Zimbabwe, Wilbert Manyeka, has called on all stakeholders to work together to come up with solutions to the problem of healthcare fraud, which is continuously increasing in Zimbabwe. He was speaking at the Healthcare Fraud Conference in Harare last Friday. The two-day meeting was initiated by the Association of Healthcare Funders of Zimbabwe as a way of engaging various stakeholders to fight healthcare fraud. Manika says healthcare fraud is a white-collar crime that may be committed by healthcare pro- providers, consumers, companies providing medical supplies or services, and healthcare organizations. Logistics firms and customs agents in Kenya have raised concern over increased costs of doing business through the port of Mombasa due to non-tariff barriers. Kenya International Freight and Warehousing Association says that traders take up to 10 days to clear the cargo, adding that currently importers are not able to utilize the four-day free window to clear cargo from the port. Over 80% of cargo that passes through the port incur storage charges. Consumer inflation has softened. To sit at the lower end of the Bank of Botswana objective in line with forecasts that informed last month's cut in the benchmark bank rate. Figures published by Stats Botswana show that annual inflation rate in October was a 3.0%, registering a drop of 0.2%, a percentage point on the September rate of 3.2%. At 3.0%, consumer inflation is now at a 10-month low. The Bank of Botswana's medium-term objective is to have consumer inflation in the 3 to 6 percentage range. The U.S. dollar trades at 14.3 in South Africa. It's at 10.41 in Botswana and at 10.5 in Zambia. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the euro. Finally, looking at commodities, gold trades at $1,279, platinum $929 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $62.36 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, 
First up in our sports update, we're betting off with cricket news. The Proteas women will open the England women's 2018 summer of international cricket with a three-match one-day international, the ODI series, followed by a four-match T20 international triangular, which will include New Zealand. The tour will take place from the 9th of June to the 1st of July 2018 across six venues in England. All of the matches in the ODI series will form part of the ICC Women's Championship, the qualifying tournament for the 2021 ICC Women's World Cup, while the T20 series will play an immense role in preparing South Africa for the 2018 ICC Women's World T20, which is due to take place in the West Indies next November. And in football news, no Nigerian referee was listed among the 36 referees and support referees for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Those selected will attend a preparatory seminar on the 25th and the 29th of November 2017. The final list stating specific roles will be announced once the use of video assistant referee, the VARs, at the World Cup is approved by IFEB. Below is the list of the CAF referees and the confederation they represent. Mehdi Abid Sharef of Algeria, Malang Didewu of Senegal, Bakari Gassama of Gambia, Guinea Grisha of Egypt, Jani Sigazwe of Zambia, Bamlak Tesema, Ethiopia. And South African women's under-20 national team coach Maud Kumale has attributed their weekend's 5-0, 5-2 aggregate win over Burundi in the 2018 FIFA Women's Under-20 World Cup in Dobsonville, Johannesburg, to thorough preparations. Following the victory, Basisana will square off against Nigeria, who on Saturday afternoon also claimed a convincing 5-1 victory over their visitors, Morocco, at Samuel Ogbemudia Stadium in the second round of the qualifiers. Kumalo says they need a well-thought-out game plan against the Falconets of Nigeria. You know, uh, what I will tell you, when you go out, you don't know what to expect. But we've been to Nigeria with some of these girls who are here. So our mind is that uh, if we want to be the best, we need to beat the best. Because like this thing of Nigeria, this Nigeria, that we need to have a game plan. And if we plan properly, I think we'll make it, we go to France. The former Banyana Banyana player is confident they can turn around their ailing fortunes of South African women's team against the West Africans, saying what her charges need is to have a winning mentality and to play as a team. Sometimes we go with that mentality, ah, oh, guys, we're going to have those old players playing. So what we told these girls, you're old, you're not old, we need to go out there and showcase our talent and fight as a team and work as a unit and die for each other on the field. I think that's the mentality that we need to have, forgetting about those factors that we once played, we couldn't qualify, but now we need to make a difference. We've been playing with Nigeria several times now. The third qualifying round, first leg match between Basitsana and Nigeria is scheduled for the weekend of the 12th and the 14th of January with the second leg taking place on the weekend of the 26th and the 28th of January next year. The ninth edition of the Under-20 Women's World Cup is set to be staged in France from the 5th to the 24th of August next year.
And in local football, the South African APSA Premiership League will resume today with mouth-watering fixtures after being in recess since the first of this month due to the FIFA international matches and the Telkom Knockout Cup. Defending champions Bidvest Vets will take on Mamelodi Sundowns at Bidvest Stadium tonight in a pick of the fixtures this week. And around the Pirates and the Bafana Bafana legend Mark Fish says it has been an exciting season so far. The league is exciting. I think the league is interesting this year. Uh, you have the, the league champions that are struggling to get form and then they, you know, second, second, I think third at bottom. Uh, and you have a team that nearly got relegated last season at the top. So I think it's exciting for football there. Uh, I do believe that uh, certain things needed to be changed to, for football to get a little bit more, not only exciting, but a bit of flair back to it. Uh, unfortunately, the derby is still a very dull affair. Those two teams just don't want to lose to each other. Um, Chiefs is doing a little bit better. Pirates, yeah, they got off to a better start. But uh, are, are we fully convinced that Michu is the coach? I don't know. Only time will tell. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe faces impeachment. And the Kenyan court ruling clears the way for swearing-in of Uhuru Kenyatta. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa is Kajanin with a song titled Sinamali Sinadeni. <laughs>